This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Hey, we are all guests. No break going forward here. The day after Thanksgiving on Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, and Channel 80. Gabe Knights and Jeff Turn filling in for the guys today. Of course, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. You can be a part of the Carlin versus Joe Nation on the Dr. Pepper call in line. Call us, 888-SAY-ESPN. 888-729-3776, ESPN Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. It's not college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the ones fans deserve. Got a lot of good college football today. Got a, one NFL game, first time ever, history of the NFL. They've played a game on Black Friday. That's coming up at 3 p.m. Eastern as well as the Jets take on the Dolphins. But first, we begin by looking back to yesterday and what we learned about some of the top teams in the NFC because three of them were in action. The Lions at home, they lost to the Packers. Cowboys blow out the Commanders to the point where Washington and their head coach, Ron Rivera, fires that offensive coordinator in Jack Del Rio today. And the 49ers starting to look more and more like the 49ers and leaving that three-game losing streak in the rearview mirror. They go into Seattle and win as well. Between, I guess it's down to two teams because the Lions were not impressive yesterday. Who were you impressed with more yesterday, Jeff? Was it the Cowboys winning 45-10 to 10, or was it the Niners going into Seattle and coming away with a double-digit victory? I think it was the 49ers because that interdivision rivalry there between those two teams at this point with what those two programs are is, is at a different level than what you're seeing between the Commanders and the Cowboys. So I expected the Cowboys as a double-digit favorite to win that game going on the road you know the geno smith situation it feels like he's he's dinged up more than they were maybe even leading on and the the photo they showed like did you see that during the broadcast yesterday where he's doing like the television yes and he's on the table for those who did not see it so geno smith dealing with the shoulder injury he is on the table doing rehab getting a shot doing all these things while he's in the production meeting with nbc's team you see chris collinsworth off in the corner they're asking him questions as he's going through rehab just a wild idea. Like, I just could not fathom that that was what actually happened on Tuesday leading to this game on a Thursday. Yeah, that just shows you, like, 24 hours at a time. They were, they're were they just trying to get Geno ready to play on Thursday. And so I was, I was really impressed with the way that Brock Purdy rebounded uh, over the last couple of weeks from the way he played during that three-game losing streak, the perfect QBR last week. Throws a pick six in the third, figures out a way to really play well down the stretch. You had Christian McCaffrey doing Christian McCaffrey things, a couple of touchdowns, and that defense of San Francisco getting after Geno as much as they did was what I think is going to be a difference maker for San Francisco down the stretch. So I was really impressed in that environment. We all know how hard it is to play there in Seattle to get that win in the fashion and sort of the physicality fashion that the 49ers did last night. Yeah, I was really impressed with the Cowboys because they've been playing, and look, I understand the quality of opponents hasn't been the highest, right? They're the Dolphins of the NFC, where they haven't beaten any teams with winning records. But Mike McCarthy has Dak Prescott playing some really good football over the last five games. And Dak was asked about that after the game last night. And here's what he had to say about the improvement of the offense over the last month or so. I don't know that I could just put my, you know, put put my finger right on and say this is the why. Um, as much as as I've talked about new system, new play calling, we know what we want to do. You know what I mean? We know how we want to attack. We know how we want to go at these different teams. And honestly, credit to the offensive line. I mean, I think that's where that's where it starts. The way that they're protecting, giving me time to take shots down the field. Yeah, guys are running. Guys are running to win. He, he he's flying them off the call sheet, and and it feels good. 
the Cowboys are going to be tested over the next five weeks. They've got a very tough close to their schedule here, so we'll find out more about the Cowboys. But to me, you can kind of gain some of the confidence that maybe they didn't have, especially because there is going to be, and there obviously was, some differences between the way that Kellen Moore did things as the offensive coordinator, the way that Mike McCarthy is doing things as the head coach and now play caller for the Dallas Cowboys, and you start picking up some of that confidence against some of these inferior opponents and they're not going to be putting up 45 points against everyone the way they did yesterday but they're playing really good football right now and I'm really curious to see what this Cowboys team does down the stretch to see if they can be a disruptor in the NFC and interrupt what most people probably believe is going to be a rematch in the NFC championship game between the 49ers and Eagles so I think there's two Two points there. The confidence part, I think, is very important. And, and two points that I bring off of the confidence, specifically with Dak Prescott. If you think back to when Dak was was playing pre-injury, you know, that, that catastrophic leg in, injury that happened in 2020. Prior to that, he used his legs a lot more than he did in 2021 and 2022. And rightfully so. I'd, I'd imagine that you'd be, uh, you know, a little trepidatious about having to, to go through another injury like that. But you've seen him use his legs more. You saw him use his legs yesterday in that win against the commanders. And secondly, you speak about confidence. I think Dak Prescott last year, or the year before after missing two wide open wide receivers on that opening drive where he mm-hmm. overthrew them, he overthrew two guys in a row. I don't think that Dak comes back the next possession and is willing to make that deep pass until he connects on a couple of shorter passes. He connects with the tight end on that big pass down the field, sets them up, for their eventual touchdown and I feel like he's he's so confident in himself that he's gonna get it right whether it's with his legs or with his arm that's something that after that injury I think it shook him a little bit and in 2021 and 2022 we did not see the same Dak Prescott and I think we're starting to see a more evolved the more experienced a better Dak Prescott with his legs with his arm knowing when to run knowing when to to go all right screw what happened two plays ago I know I can drop that in there on a dime, and he's doing that, and that is huge for that offense. And that may be because of the way that Mike McCarthy continues to call those plays. Maybe Kellen Moore would have shied away from calling those deep passing routes after you you miss on two wide-open dudes. But, man, it, it just feels like things are clicking right right now for the Cowboys. Meanwhile, so we saw two two of the top four teams win. And three of the top four teams in the NFC in action yesterday, and however you wanted to rate them, heading into this week, the top four teams in the NFC, and I still think that this is the case, top four teams in the NFC, Eagles and the 49ers, Cowboys, and Lions. The Lions lost, and they were seven-and-a-half-point favorites against the Green Bay Packers. This was a game that I, I felt going into was going to be one where the Lions could announce their presence with authority to the rest of the NFC, to the rest of the league nationally televised game the Lions have always been the laughing stock of the NFL and here they've got an opportunity to showcase just how good they are and bury a rival that's just toyed with them over the last 30 years with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers at quarterback not the case yesterday as the Packers go in there with a 29-22 victory and Dan Campbell after the game said hey this comes down to our defense we need to get takeaways yeah, I do. I have confidence. Here's what we got to do. We have to get takeaways. We have to. That's something that we desperately got to work on. It's one of the things we did a really good job of this time last year. Once we hit that last, call it 10, 8 to 10 games, we were, we were getting takeaways. We were playing tough, man. We were, uh, 
you know, we were we were pressuring the quarterback, affecting him. But then, man, we were getting these. You're getting two a game. You're getting, and that's where we're not getting those enough right now. And to me, that's a mindset, and it's something we got to work on. Have we worked on it? Yeah, but not enough. There's a different way to emphasize, and I believe that. So that's Dan Campbell after the Lions loss yesterday. I think the biggest difference, not necessarily the takeaways, and although they did not have a turnover against Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers yesterday, it's the giveaways, Jeff. They gave it away, three three turnovers uh, against the, the Bears. They were able to overcome that, come from behind, despite being down 12 with three minutes left. They beat the Bears last Sunday. They turned it over three more times with fumbles because of Jared Goff, and one of those fumbles was returned for a touchdown. You lost the game by seven points. It, to me, it's the giveaways that Jared Goff has had that's really costing the Lions the last handful of weeks. Yeah, man, if you go back to his days with the Rams, it wasn't that Jared Goff – you know, didn't take care of the football. It was that you didn't think that Jared Goff could maybe have the explosive plays like a Matthew Stafford didn't have that cannon of an arm. That's why they traded for him. But if you go back to that run that they had to the Super Bowl where they, they eventually lost, Jared Goff took care of the football really well. He made smart decisions, smart decisions that set his team up to win games. And ever since he showed up in Detroit, that's all he's done. I, I've really been impressed with this version of Jared Goff. And he's figured out a way to have a little bit more explosive plays with that Detroit offense, the last two games have not been that. The last two games have been the complete opposite of that. They haven't had the explosive plays. He's been turning the football over. Like, when he's running the football yesterday and he gets stripped and and the ball comes out, I know he's trying to make a play. You love the competitive nature of that. But the previous possession, dude, you just got strip-sacked and they took it to the house. The, the, The only thing you should be thinking about there is not putting your team in a bigger hole. You're not going to get 14 points on one play get to halftime reset maybe get a field goal on that drive but by fumbling the football there there was really no chance I felt like the Lions had to come back in that game and it was because of back-to-back possessions where Jared Goff turned over the football that has to improve if they have any chance in hell of beating the best teams in the NFC forget about the division man you can beat the Bears with turnovers you can beat the Packers sometimes with turnovers you you can beat the Vikings you can't beat the Eagles you can't beat the 49ers can't beat the Cowboys with those turnovers in a high-profile playoff game they got to sure that up. They got to sure that up fast. Yeah, they're going to win the division. I have no doubt about that. Even though the Packers beat them yesterday, the Lions, their schedule, it's not that tough down the stretch. They're going to win that division. They're going to be hosting a playoff game in the wild card round. Can they clean those up to be potentially somebody that puts a scare into the Eagles or the 49ers if that ends up being the teams they play in round two? Coming up next here on Carlin versus Joe, it's rivalry week in college football. Some good games today, but the biggest match of the weekend, of course, it's tomorrow. Michigan, Ohio State will set the table for that. It's Carlin versus Joe on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Versus Joe, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I'm Gabe Nigel, along with Jeff Turn, filling in for Carlin and Joe today. Carlin versus Joe, presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. I love this week of college football. Rivalry week. It's great. You get a lot of fun games. Started last night with the Egg Bowl. You're going to have uh, Oregon, Oregon State tonight, which is going to be a big game, especially for the Ducks. And tomorrow, the biggest one of them all. And part of the college football playoff with having only four teams, you get to see a lot of what would kind of be quarterfinal-ish games throughout the course of the regular season. 
and especially late into the regular season or for conference championship games. And this one, since Michigan has gotten good again, uh, Michigan-Ohio State has just taken on a little bit more meaning because tomorrow this has an opportunity. Michigan versus Ohio State, two versus three, has an opportunity to have the winner be representing the Big Ten in the college football playoff. Now, last year they both got in. Not sure if that's going to be the case this year. So with so much going into this game, I understand why you would want to beat Michigan if you're Ohio State. But this from Beanie Wells, the former Ohio State running back on Sportsman Mike, this is an insanity take to me because he said on Sportsman Mike, he would rather beat Michigan than win the national championship. If we're talking a situation where Ohio State's been winning the last few years, maybe it might be a little bit different for myself, but well, no, it wouldn't be different for myself. I'd never want to lose those guys, but maybe different fans. But, you know, we're talking three years in a row. I don't think anybody out there would take losing three years in a row uh, to go get a national championship. I don't think it's worth it. Uh, and I'm, you know, wow. I believe a ton of fans wouldn't think it was worth it either. Think about Can that. I get an amen? It's not worth losing to Michigan if you then still sneak into the college football playoff and go and win a national championship. Like, the national championship doesn't overrule a loss to Michigan, which is – that tells you all you need to know about this rivalry. That, like, that's insanity to me, Jeff. I agree with you, but Aaron Goldhammer yesterday as we were hosting Greeny said something similar with regards to what the fans want. And he said the fans would take a win over Michigan over a national championship, and I thought he was crazy. But I've heard that, that scenario now multiple times from former players, from folks on social media. Like, it just means more to them especially in a day and age where they've lost the last two. And so I think this game this game tomorrow is probably going to be the highest-rated Ohio State-Michigan game of all time. The Harbaugh factor there is big. The two losses in a row for the Buckeyes is huge. The college football playoff only having four teams I think adds to that intrigue. You know, if, if this was next year, the loser of this game is still going to be in the playoff. And yeah. that's, why, that's why I think this game means so much. It's the biggest Ohio State-Michigan game of my lifetime. There were some big ones in the 90s. There were some big ones Ooh. in the 2000s. I think this I is mean, the they biggest were one, one. Two, I think in 06. I don't and think the though, got I don't to go think the BCS championship. Game. Right, but I don't think with all the hoopla surrounding Harbaugh and the sign stealing stuff accompanied with the last two years of of Michigan beating up physically on Ohio State that you know like Goldhammer said this he's like Ryan Day may be on the hot seat if he loses this game. Yes. What? Yep. What what? Yep. Yep. I mean, because he's 1-3 against Michigan, he may be on the hot seat. That's crazy to me. He's, he's gone to the college football playoff. Yes, right. he lost last year, but he still went to the college football playoff. And, you know, Heather Dinich, ESPN college football reporter on Unsportsmanlike, did say, yes, the pressure is on Ryan Day in Ohio State. If they were to lose to Michigan, I think the scrutiny would absolutely intensify. It was at a peak last year when they lost to Michigan. And Ohio State has not lost three straight to Michigan since 1990-whatever it was. It's been a really long time. So you don't want to have that dubious distinction. But I think what's really bothering Ohio State fans is not just that they've lost to Michigan. It's that Michigan has started to elbow the Buckeyes out in terms of the college football playoff spot. They've earned that national spotlight next door to the Buckeyes as well. So the pressure is tremendous at Ohio State. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle 
and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Ryan Day knows that. The good news for Ohio State, though, at least in my opinion, I haven't been the overly impressed with Michigan over the last couple of weeks. And I think Ohio State is the better football team. I think they have the best offensive playmaker in Marvin Harrison Jr. And as long as they find a way to get the ball into his hands, which there are times where, you know, parts of games where it's like, okay, where's Marvin Harrison Jr.? And then they get him going and then the offense really gets going for Ohio State. I think they have the best offensive playmaker. I lean towards Ohio State tomorrow. So I lean, I lean towards Michigan because I think that this game, at least it's been proven the last few years, has been one of the trenches. I still think there's a slight advantage there for Michigan with that offensive line and that defensive line. I don't think that there's a, a you know a, a Harbaugh factor other than this. I think if you're playing like teams that you're beating pretty good and you don't have to make a lot of in-game adjustments, maybe Harbaugh not being there isn't a big deal. But if Michigan falls down early and you have to start making some adjustments against that Ohio State offense or that defense, then I start to see maybe the absence of, of Harbaugh coming into play a little bit more. If I am Michigan, I take that same mentality I had against Penn State and I run that football. You know, they didn't they didn't pass one time in the second half. I just continue to run that football until Ohio State can stop me, and then I figure something else out. I think that defense of Michigan is going to have to figure out ways to defend those wide receivers without getting penalties. Pass interference calls tomorrow are going to be huge in that game because, you know, Harrison and, and, and that, that whole group can separate themselves. So defensive holding, defensive pass interference, I think are going to be big. And whoever wins the turnover battle is going to have a, a huge advantage because of the way that stylistically they play. But it's a clash of two different styles. You got this, you know, spread it out NFL offense that Ryan Day runs with two really great wide receivers and McCord who can chuck it around versus an offense. And J.J. McCarthy can throw the football too, but they're going to rely on Blake Corum, who only played two plays a year ago before being dinged up with that knee injury, did not come back in that game. So I, I think the contrasting styles make this a fascinating matchup tomorrow as well. Yeah, that's the thing with J.J. McCarthy, because for a while people were talking about him for Heisman, and then he throws the ball eight times against Penn State, and you're like, well, yeah, they won, but he only threw it eight times. I don't know if right. we can really put him on the Heisman watch right now, but that's how good they were running running the football against you know against Penn State and they had trust in their defense like hey let's the only way we're losing this game is if we as you mentioned turn the football over and put them you know give them great field position I think it's going to be a little bit different tomorrow just because Ohio State's offense is much further along than where Penn State is sure probably going to have to score some points you're going to have to rely on 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 J.J. McCarthy a little bit more tomorrow but he can also run the football 
And I think you can do some different creative things, and maybe that's where Michigan has a little bit more of an advantage in the athleticism of their quarterback to try to generate points instead of just relying on McCarthy to throw it all over the place. And the other thing, this thing's being played in Michigan. So that that part of it is when you fall down early and you're playing on the road, that's why Ohio State has to get off to a hot start. I, I just feel like if, if this game is Ohio State up early, 10-3, 14-6, something like that, Ohio State has a huge advantage. If they're down at that number, I th- you know what? If they're down by more than a touchdown in the first half, I, I give Ohio State a 0% chance to come back and win. If they're up, they have a very good likelihood of pulling that thing off. Yeah, and it's going to be, yeah, like you said, it's going to be the most watched potentially Ohio State-Michigan game of all time. Because That's saying something, isn't it, right? With all like, the times we tune in. Because I'm a Miami fan, man. And, like, growing up, Miami-Florida State was the game I wanted to watch. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people that are Notre Dame fans. Notre Dame-USC, Auburn-Alabama. But Ohio State and Michigan is the one that I think supersedes all the others in college football. And I'm as excited about that game as any Miami game over the last five or six years that I've watched. Yeah, because the last, especially last year, and then you, you, you mentioned the injuries that, that Michigan had, or excuse me, that Ohio State had to deal with in Michigan. And, like, with Michigan winning the last two, it just gives it that much more juice. Like, 100%. for a long time with Ohio State dominating this rivalry, it's like, all right, it's Michigan-Ohio State. I'll tune in. Kind of like you're going to – you'll probably tune in tomorrow night to Auburn-Alabama. But you kind of know how that one's going to go, right? Correct. Like, okay, Cam we'll Newton ain't maybe, coming back, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll see if Auburn puts up a little bit of fight just because it's a rivalry game. Oh, okay, it's 14 nothing Bama. I can go to a different game. I can watch something else. This game has so many implications with just four teams going into the college football playoff and with all these other one-loss teams lining up like Bama, like Oregon, like Texas – I don't know if being a one-loss non-conference champion is going to get you in this year the way it did for Ohio State last year. So that just makes it even that much more important because going into last year's game, you kind of figured that the loser of the game was still going to have a really good chance of being in the college football playoff. That's not the case this year. That's not to say that they don't get in, but I don't think it's a shoe-in the way it was a year ago. No, I don't either. And I think the team that loses this game is is out, I would probably guess – if Texas wins the the Big Twelve championship and they have the one loss and the win is is um, is over Alabama, that's sort of the separating factor. They are going to get in over a one loss Ohio State or Michigan. So um, I I just think that the winner tomorrow puts themselves in a great position to be the one. Uh, I really do, or the two at the worst, because Georgia Alabama game probably if, if Georgia wins that they get the one, but they're going to get the two seed probably regardless at that point because they got that huge win against Ohio State or against Michigan, and that's why this game means so much tomorrow. Yeah, and going forward, again, just remember, this is the last year that this could be the only time that they play. I mean, it's very possible going forward they play that twice. you end up seeing this game back-to-back weeks. You know what? You know what? You could, actually, you could also see this thing potentially three times, and here's how. You could get them playing in this game. Yep. The loser of that game ends up, Still in the Big Ten title game because remember they're getting rid of the divisions. They're getting it's rid of be, divisions. Top right. two so, teams. So the top two teams are still Michigan Ohio State. They play in the Big Ten title game the following week, and then the team that lost the regular season game wins the Big Ten title game. Both have only one loss for sure. They're in the college football playoff, and they could play a third time, man. Like that's how bonkers it's going to be with this expanded playoff. You can tune in for college football action tomorrow. LSU hosts Texas A&M. It's presented by Dr. Pepper. Coverage begins at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Coming up next, are drops the one thing standing between the Chiefs and going back to back? We'll talk about it next. Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, ESPN app.
This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Gabe Nigel, Jeff Turn, filling in for the guys today. And Carlin versus Joe, of course, presented by Progressive Insurance. Yesterday for Thanksgiving, it was an all-NFC affair. And we got to see three of the top four teams in the NFC, in the Lions, who of course lost, and the Cowboys and 49ers, who ended up winning their games. So we get to really now focus, for the rest of the NFL weekend, a lot on the AFC side of things, which is incredibly tight, because the Ravens sit on top of the AFC with an 8-3 and three record, and then the next four teams behind them, including a team in their division, in the Cleveland Browns, are all 7-3. and three. It's an incredibly tight race in the AFC. It's an incredibly stacked AFC to the point where the Buffalo Bills are on the outside looking in of the playoff picture currently. But when you look at some of the, the teams that you know and, and kind of expected to be there, Jeff, who's, who is who has impressed you the most? Uh, we'll get into that conversation in just a little bit more because the, the, the Kansas City Chiefs have – a 7-3 and three record, and yet we all saw the struggles they had at wide receiver and some of those wide receivers catching the football this past Sunday. To help us break down everything going on in the NFL, we welcome in Jeff Darlington, ESPN NFL reporter here to Carlin and Joe. Jeff, thank you for the time. Happy Thanksgiving. With the wide receivers of the Kansas City Chiefs and the drops that they had this past weekend, how concerned is the team about that going forward? Well, I I think they have to be concerned. I I mean, what they're saying and what they're feeling um, are potentially two different things. But going into that game, I was in Kansas City for the entire week uh, leading into that game's coverage. uh, And I just, I sensed a lot of optimism from them in terms of just like, we feel like we're rounding the corner. We feel like the wide receivers are getting better as the season progresses. um, And just like no panic. Uh, Then, I mean, they they basically affirmed all of the, the doubts and wonders about the receiving core with what went on in that game. I felt like of all the drops that occurred, had uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling caught that pass at the end of the game and then Justin Watson shortly after, uh, it, it, which was also a drop, had either of them really caught that, they could have helped to somewhat validate or vindicate themselves as a unit but instead, quite the opposite. So I think they do need to be concerned. Um, 26 drops, league leading. It is problematic. But I will say this. The defense is playing unbelievably well. They've got the best quarterback on the planet. Um, and I think that there's still time for them to get on the same page. But there is no question for the second, for the, I guess really the final stretch of the season, that to me is, is the biggest um, most important storyline to to the postseason you know every team in the afc that's there at the top has some sort of flaw baltimore kansas city jacksonville miami uh how would you compare the flaw of the drops for kansas city to maybe the flaws that you see with the miami defense at times in big games or jacksonville's inconsistency and some turnovers or baltimore sometimes just staying healthy it's, it's a really good question and a really good point. Everybody does feel flawed in the AFC. Um, you know, you're like, you look at the 49ers in the NFC. The Eagles, to an extent, they seem to be like, coming into their postseason form. Um, you know, but, but to your point, the AFC, no one is standing out in terms of just being that dominant force. I would say that the one reason with the Chiefs why you can 
like I hate to just put merit on what a team has already done because I realized uh, what have you done for me lately league but when you do have Patrick Mahomes that is worth something he has been there before that team has been there it's not like that's a always been a defensive led team quite the contrary so I do feel like you know the talent's not going to change. They, they, they have what they have. Andy Reid really said after the game, though, that, like, I've seen these players make these catches before and believe they're still capable. Um, if, they, if they do what they did, though, in that game in the postseason, that's the end of their season. So I'm with you. I 100% think that that flaw stands up there with all of the, the worst of other teams. The only difference is when you have Mahomes, I think you're really capable of anything. Talking with Jeff Darlington, ESPN NFL reporter here on Carlin versus Joe. Gabe Knights with Jeff Hatern in for the guys on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. This weekend, Jeff, you're going to be covering Broncos-Browns. This is an interesting mm-hmm. matchup to me because the Browns trying to keep it together without their starting quarterback into Sean Watson right. for the rest of the season with a great defense. Meanwhile, the Broncos are ascending. What has been the biggest difference from the beginning of the season, Broncos, to the ones that now are 5-5 five and five, trying to fight into that AFC playoff picture? You know, I, I, honestly, I, I, one word, culture. I, I think Sean Payton, I was talking to him earlier this week, and he mentioned to me that he just feels like the Broncos are buying in, that they're just they're turning the corner in terms of buying into that culture. And that can take time, especially when it's a culture like Sean Payton, which is very tough. Um, the transition from Nathaniel Hackett to Sean Payton, while probably welcomed by players in terms of the potential that it provides, can be difficult to just kind of digest and and really execute uh it's 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 far more difficult and you know you see what happens with the raiders with josh mcdaniels who also imposes a very difficult disciplined quote-unquote culture uh what can happen if you don't win a team will turn on you and that's what happened um with mcdaniels in in las vegas i should say uh with sean payton he has managed seemingly to turn the corner of instilling that culture without losing the locker room. And I think that that has played um, a, a dramatic role in this. Now, do, does anybody really believe, myself included, that the Broncos or the Browns are true postseason contenders? I'm not there yet on either of these teams, but I do understand why this game is interesting and why potentially if one team stands out more than the other, that maybe we do start to believe in that, in that team. So if there was a team – outside of of the ones that we've discussed and i'm talking afc specific here because you have the texans you have the bills on the outside looking in colts uh and and then the bengals trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do at quarterback moving forward without joe burrow is there is there a surprise team because we don't have a dominant team or is it still going to be the usual suspects at the end i mean i have a tough time buying into any team with a backup quarterback and i know it's happened in the past whether it's like uh um Nick Foles in in Philadelphia when he took over uh, for Wentz and led them to a Super Bowl. I mean, I know it it has happened, but I just have a tough time believing in in those teams just yet. Like, I think that they'll all kind of come back to earth. We've got a lot of those teams. Um, I'm really curious what happens with the Jaguars. They've been such like a kind of up and down Jekyll and Hyde type of team this year, but have to me, in my opinion, the potential to be a postseason contender. Um, Otherwise, yeah, I do think it's going to be a lot of the usual suspects. Dolphins are obviously a very curious team. Um, to your point, into the theme of this conversation, it, it, like it still feels so hard to predict what ultimately is going to come, which is what, what makes this, this final stretch 
really interesting. I mean, we've seen plenty of times in the past where a team gets hot, like kind of like the Ravens have uh, in their final six or seven games, and they enter the playoffs hotter than anybody else. It feels to me like it's going to be one of those seasons, uh, especially to your point in the AFC. Jeff, we certainly appreciate the time. Hope you have a happy rest of your Thanksgiving and enjoy covering Thanks, Broncos Jeff. Browns. Thanks, Sounds man. good, guys. Thank you very much. Jeff Darlington, ESPN NFL reporter, joining us here on Carlin versus Joe. Coming up next, plenty of things to get into as the NBA is back in action tonight with a lot of in-season tournament games. We dive into that coming up next. Carlin versus Joe on ESPN Radio. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Always bad blood between Chris Paul and Scott Foster, of all people. We dive into that rivalry right now. Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Series 6M, Channel 80. I'm Gabe Nodge, along with Jeff Turn. Filling in for the guys as Carlin versus Joe is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can also tune in for college football action tomorrow night. Florida hosts Florida State. It's presented by Dr. Pepper. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. This has been a rivalry that's been going on for a long time. And I believe now in playoff games where teams that have Chris Paul have been in, officiated by Scott Foster, Chris Paul and his teams are 3-17 and 17 in those games. He got a couple of quick technical fouls on Wednesday when the league was last in action and ejected. And here's what Chris Paul, Suns guard, had to say after the game about Scott Foster. It's personal. Yeah, we had a situation some years ago. And it's personal, you know what I mean? Like, the league know, everybody know, it's been a meeting and all that, and it's just a situation with my son. And so it's, yeah, we, yeah, so I'm I'm okay with a ref talking, you know, saying whatever, saying just don't use a tech to get your point across, you know what I mean? So I got to do a better job making sure I stay on the floor for my teammates, but is what it is. I'm sure I see him in a game seven soon. A lot of things to dive into there, Jeff, because it's insane to me. There was some sort of incident that involved Chris Paul's son and Scott Foster that the league and he was with the Clippers apparently at the time, Doc Rivers and everybody was in on this. How have we not gotten more information about some sort of incident that may have involved family members of Chris Paul and an NBA official? Oh, I'm sure we will at some point now. Um, you know, there was a poll that was done, I think it was through Bleacher Report, like 
seven, eight, uh, maybe it was sooner than maybe like six, seven years ago. And they asked assistant coaches, some players. I think they talked to like 40 different people. They had a vote on the, the best and the worst referees. And Danny Crawford, Joey Crawford, Monty McCutcheon, all were right there at the top of the best referees in the game. And I thought the thing that I appreciated, even though Joey Crawford, like you knew Joey Crawford was officiating in a game when he was there because of the way he looked and, and he was a guy that, that was recognizable. But I always felt like people really appreciated Joey Crawford more than they disliked him. And even though sometimes he was a visible referee, he, he didn't take the the bias nature to the whistle. And I'm not saying that Scott Foster does this with everyone, but the number one name seven years ago was Scott Foster for the worst referee. And that has not changed, I think, amongst a lot of people. Now, worst referee for the way that he handles the players versus actual, you know, getting the calls right, I think that is debatable. But Lauren Holt Camp is another one that you hear a lot of. She was on this list. Mark Davis on this list. So, some of it has to do with how long you're around because you're just going to wear on people after you're around them so many times and you're giving them fouls and crutch in clutch situations. But with Scott Foster and Chris Paul, it seems to be personal and that's where it should never go. It should never become personal between a referee and a player. And when it becomes so personal that everyone that watches the games know it, all the, the media, the teams, the players, you have to do something as a league to not have Scott Foster officiating those games. Yeah. There are very capable referees that can step in Scott Foster's place. And I'm not saying regular season. I'm talking about postseason game sevens, as Chris alluded to. You can't have Scott Foster refereeing games because it just feels like there's always going to be a biased nature towards Chris Paul. Chris brings some of it on himself, though, man. Like the other night, him and Scott were going back and forth for about 45 seconds before Scott. I, I thought he you know, ha- had a little bit of restraint there. Gabe, I felt like he, he didn't tee him up right away. 45 seconds. The second tech came much quicker. Second, than the second took us very quick. Very, very, very quick. quick. The first one, though, he let him he let him chirp a little bit, but Chris must have said something that got him the second one. I love that Steph held him back so that it become didn't become worse of a situation. But yeah, the, the league has to do something better so that people don't think this is this is affecting the outcome of games where Scott Foster is officiating Chris Paul because the numbers, like you mentioned, back up that something is happening here. In the rare instance. It's a rare instance, I should say, that we know an official's name in any sport, I guess outside of football, because in football, you know, they get their name on the bottom of the screen. So, you know, who, maybe you know who Carl Cheffers is, right? You, you're, you, because you see them in every NFL game you watch and you see their name on the screen. But when we're talking about, you know, basketball and, and Major League Baseball, yeah, you, sometimes they throw their names up on the screen. But if, chances are, if you know an official's name, it's because it's not going to be a good thing. Like, a lot of no. people who watch baseball know who Angel Hernandez is. And it's not because Angel's really good at his job. He's terrible the, at his job. Yeah. It's the He's same the thing worst. He's the, he may be the worst of any sport, to be honest with you. Yes. A hundred percent. But that's the same, it's the same principle with Scott Foster. The only reason I know Scott Foster's name is because he has this thing with Chris Paul. And Chris Paul's one of the biggest, most marketable stars still to this day in the NBA. And I know... That I, I couldn't pick you Scott Foster out of a lineup. Maybe I'll recognize him if I see his picture, but I know his name. And if he's refereeing a game that Chris Paul is involved in, chances are there's going to be some sort of incident. And again, like it, it's it's crazy to me. I, I want to know more about this some sort of personal incident that involved his son. I need to know more information about that because that to me, if you start involving family members with officiating, something doesn't seem right there, and it seems like some line somewhere had to have been crossed. And it's crazy to me that he would still be in officiating Chris Paul games. 
yeah, that's the part that sort of it took it to another level the other night, and it's going to be interesting to see. Somebody's going to have the report on this sooner rather than later, and we're going to be able to sort of get some details on that. But in a day and age where social media drives a lot of these narratives, I'm shocked we haven't got that yet. Meanwhile, in San Antonio, has Greg Popovich lost his mind? Like, so if you happen to miss this on Wednesday, so Pop, who I respect, I mean, he's one of the greatest coaches in NBA history. He's a Hall of Famer. He's, he's unbelievable. But Kawhi Leonard was in the building, and Spurs fans felt the need to boo the former member of the Spurs. Now that he's, you know, he's on the Clippers now, and the Clippers trying to, you know, remain relevant in the Western Conference. But Pop jumped on the microphone in the game. This is from Bally Sports, trying to get the crowd to stop booing Kawhi Leonard. Excuse me for a second. Pops on the mic. We stop all the booing and let these guys play. It's not all class. It's not who we are. Knock off the booing. What are we doing? Who? What? what? Who is he? Norman Dale? I hope you cheer us for who we are, not boo us for who we are not. Like, what is what is going on right now that Greg Popovich has to grab a microphone in the middle of a game to tell the fans of San Antonio to stop booing? Oh, by the way, it didn't work. Like that's just you, you tell someone to stop booing, and chances are they're only going to start booing even more. So it it did not work, even for someone who's respected as much as Greg Popovich is. Yeah, man, he, they they not only continued to boo Kawhi Leonard every time he'd get the ball or shoot a free throw, they started booing James Harden more. They started booing the Clippers more, and this sort of felt like when your parents tell you not to do something, you go do it, and twice as hard. I I also feel like this is a moment where you start to see pop phasing out of of his role uh as ambassador of coaches in the nba and sort of the guy that you think of on that mount rushmore of current coaches he's always going to be there in that conversation on on the mount rushmore of greatest nba coaches of all time but you're to a point now by the way mount rushmore is in south dakota albeit now Deion sanders knows that and hopefully you all do as well (laughs) i live in the great state of south dakota we want to make sure we get some credibility for something um so so no it's not it's not the you know it's not the hollywood thing but um in all seriousness i think this was a moment where pop really looked his age and you felt like over the last 10 years even though pop was getting up there in, in years it didn't feel like Pop was was like always the old guy in the room, right? He he, he speaks very openly about uh, a plethora of topics, from political stuff to uh, sports stuff to everything, and it felt like he was in tune. This felt like he was out of tune, man. It wasn't like people were chucking stuff up, you know, batteries on the court. Yeah, this was booing, dude. Like kids boo stuff, and and you're not scolding your children. Why are we scolding full-grown adults who paid hundreds of dollars to go to the game to boo a guy that that didn't play a lot the final year and then left via trade because he wanted out? Yeah, and like they're not booing the home team. They're, aren't you supposed to cheer against the team that's in the arena playing your team? Isn't that part of the deal? Like if So if Kawhi Leonard missed a shot, is the crowd not supposed to cheer when Kawhi misses a shot? Like I, I don't understand what the point of this whole thing was. And as you mentioned, it, it just really shows his age. It's, I, I don't understand. Yeah, if, if you have to qu- calm down the crowd because, yes, they're throwing things on the court, that's different. This was this was just strange. Coming up next, we're going to look ahead to the most interesting matchups left in Week 12. Carlin versus Joey, ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Carlin vs. Joe weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch and listen on the ESPN app. The 
Colin versus Joe podcast.